This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today we have James Walker. James is the Senior Vice President of Restaurants at Nathan's Famous, one of America's most iconic brands. Today you're going to learn about what's going on at Nathan's, the innovations they're working on, and their growth story. When I interviewed James, I learned a ton. I hope that you do too, and I hope that you enjoy the episode. But before we go there. I wanted to talk about the state of the business world and what everyone's doing in these uncertain times and unfamiliar territory with the COVID-19 pandemic happening. Some people might be new to working remotely. People have their normal course of business to do. Some people might be, might be out in the field maybe first responders or even retail employees at general merchants and might be working longer, different hours. People might have to change their, how they operate their business. We have uncharted waters and there's some uncertainty. And so everyone's got big goals, big challenges and all these new things all at once. And so one of the things that has helped me in tackling big challenges and big goals. And we've all heard it before, and this is nothing new. And I'll give you what I call it, but I I call it win in advance. Around March, normally, when I was younger, I would be getting ready for some big wrestling tournament where there'd be a lot of matches to get to the gold. And no different than the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament, final four, and then there's one championship and you got to win a bunch of games to go. And what you have to do, you win in advance. Very simple. And my father used to say that to me all the time. Win in advance, Christopher, win in advance, one match at a time. And so that's what I'm working on with the team at DLC, taking bite-sized chunks. When you have a lot of new things happening, if you try to tackle them all at once, or you try to tackle the end goal right away, you oftentimes miss. It's no different than if you were going to run a marathon. You hadn't run in two years. You just go out and try to run 26.2 miles. It's pretty defeating. Not to mention your legs are pretty sore. The best way to do that is to take bite-sized chunks. Week one, maybe you run 
a mile every other day or two miles every other day. And then over time, you slowly increase the amount of miles and the speed at which you're running. What's going on in the business world today is no different. You have to take bite-sized chunks. Maybe it's as simple as I need to get myself all situated in this work from home. Once I do that, get that win, I can advance on to the next thing. Maybe that's the normal course of business. Or maybe that's dealing with the strategies and plans in a COVID-19 world. <clears throat> but my recommendation is focus on the task at hand, win in advance, and you set yourself up in the best position. There's no guarantee. But you set yourself up to put yourself in the best position to succeed because it is really daunting and defeating when you're looking at all these big challenges and big problems and headline news to tackle it all at once. But if you get micro wins along the way, you start to feel good. You start to build momentum. You start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so in times of uncertainty, in times of uncharted waters, you can pick the lingo that you like best, even if it's the most mundane, simplest of tasks. Get that done. Win that task. Win that tactic. Win that strategy. And advance on to the next. That's what I got for everyone today. I hope everyone enjoys the show. Stay safe. Stay healthy. I'll see you on Thursday because uh, we're going to have another episode. Thanks, everyone. Today is a bonus episode, and we have James Walker, Senior Vice President of Restaurants at Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. He was formerly the President of Global Operations at John Rockets. He was the Chief Development Officer at Beeple Brady's. He was the Vice President of North America at Subway. And I think he brings a really interesting perspective on the restaurant industry. And did I get that right, James? Is it Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs today? So uh, you got Senior Vice President right. Absolutely, James Walker right. But Nathan's Famous is a lot more than hot dogs. So it's you're not wrong, but maybe you're not right either. Uh, a lot of the work we've been doing is is making sure that uh, our positioning is really Nathan's famous, the flavor of New York, and and obviously a big part of that is hot dogs, but just not exclusively. Got it. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the the restaurant business as you have? Uh, you know, it's it's a great question. Um, you know, when I'll. I'll try to go through ancient history really, really quick. Um, I actually started in the music industry, not as a musician. I'm not uh, talented in that way, but on the business side, um, you know, back in the, the 90s was in the international side of the record industry handling import exports. And I, I worked very hard and needed a little bit of a break and moved out to an island called Martha's Vineyard off the coast of Massachusetts and had some free time and took a part-time job in a restaurant and found that I just absolutely loved it. I, I loved working with food, I loved working with people, and over the, the past, uh, you know, well over 20 years, have continued in that industry. And today, consider myself not only a, a great fan of the job I do, but the industry as a whole. Awesome, so you got into the restaurant industry and you, you worked your way up uh, the restaurant industry at these large corporations and from Baja Fresh to Beefo Brady's, 
why don't you tell me a little bit about how and the listeners, I think they find it interesting, how you ended up, you know, really working your way up into the kind of sector you or the department and segment of the business that you work in today? One of the things that I would say, you know, throughout my career, and one of the things I really like about the restaurant industry is it is an industry where working hard does typically propel you with leaders like Chris Elliott at, at Beepo Brady's and Charles Bruce at, at Johnny Rocket and now uh, Eric Gadoff at Nathan's Famous. So I've had some great mentors and leaders to look up to. Um, but over that career, a lot of what's propelled me forward, I think is still um, something that's special about this industry, is it's an industry where working hard and really for the effort tends to move forward. And um, I, I credit where I am today with all that, being willing to put in the hours and, and do the hard work and then show tangible quantitative results because of that work. Uh, sage advice. It's probably true in more industries than just the restaurant industry too. You know, effort pays off, so. All right, so what does the senior vice president of restaurants do at Nathan's Famous? Uh, uh, you know, a lot. Um, I would say determine what the priorities are um, and then work with the individual department heads and team and how best together we can move against those priorities. So over the past nine, 10 months, it's really been positioning the brand for future growth. How do we take this brand uh, that you may not know, this brand's been around since 1916. So over 104 years of successful history, now, how do we prepare for, say, the next 20 or 30 years? There's a lot of disruptors in the industry right now from delivery and what's going on with labor. Uh, and even today, as a backdrop to today's call, we have this coronavirus situation. You know, how do we prepare this iconic brand to continue to be successful with the pace of change really accelerating? Um, and that's, you know, from a, a macro standpoint, that's what I do. And what departments do you oversee at Nathan's? I oversee the marketing department, design and construction, uh, corporate, as well as franchise operations and franchise sales. Wow. So, you know, Nathan's is interesting because they have retail locations. And so do you know how many locations do you have today? We're 225 locations, uh, and the vast majority of those are in the U.S. We do have a small international presence, a presence that we're looking at, um, at trying to grow, but most of them in North America today. And you also have a consumer products business. Uh, you, you know, I could go to some you know, online or grocery stores and buy Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. Isn't that correct? It's absolutely correct. And that's, that's not 225 locations. That's, uh, that's closer to 70,000 locations. You know, everything from your local convenience store uh, to your grocery store uh, carry not just Nathan's hot dogs, but things like our iconic um, waffle cut fries. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of love for Nathan's out there and we see it across a lot of different venues. And so 
is the majority of the revenue today from the retail locations or the consumer products? So the, the consumer products is uh, where more of our revenue comes from today. And that's really you know, what I've been brought in to do back in, in April of last year is how do we accelerate uh, the restaurant division? And I would say it a different way. I'd say there's a demand for the Nathan's Famous uh, restaurant brand both from a franchising standpoint or B2B, as well as from consumers. So I've been brought in to position the brand to accelerate against that demand. Awesome. And that's really, really unique position to be in. And so in your growth, are you, see, are you thinking that it will be physical locations where, you, you know, you're at 200 today and you know, maybe one day there's 500 Nathan's locations. Absolutely, we're we're looking to grow that um, that physical presence. Now we're going to do so against a backdrop of some of these disruptive forces, like um, the need for convenience and delivery. Conversations in the industry about things like dark or ghost kitchens. So all of that's happening at the same time, but. 100%. We're looking to grow that physical presence, that brick and mortar restaurant, um, that corner Nathan's that folks know and love in their neighborhood. We want more of this, and so do consumers. It, totally. I would. I wish one was in my neighborhood. I live in northern New Jersey. That that would be so cool. And what what type of locations do you see that Nathan's going into? You know, I, I see them in like I think in like food courts in, in airports and in New York Metro, but what do you, if you're, if you're growing this, what types of locations do you see happening? Well, uh, we're certainly going to still continue to answer the demand in non-traditional. So those airport locations, we do very well uh, in those types of locations. And one of our largest partners is an airport concessionaire. So we're going to continue to do that. In fact, I think we opened a another airport just two weeks ago in Islip, New York, in, in the MacArthur Airport that's doing really well for us. So we're going to continue to answer that demand, as well as look at high traffic areas in more traditional uh, real estate. So strip centers, we prefer end caps with drive-throughs. We think drive-throughs are a critical component for our segment of the restaurant industry. We'll look at out parcels that have drive-throughs in strip centers. And we're still going to look at those high-performing enclosed malls. Awesome. And forgive my ignorance, do you have a bunch of Nathan's drive through locations today? So we don't have a bunch. We, we've got two prototypes, and we're looking to build out that section. Wow. Where are those prototypes if I wanted to go check them out? Sure, and, and you should. Uh, there's one in uh, Yonkers, New York. That's actually our, our corporate test prototype. And then we also have one down in Cape Coral, Florida. Wow, Yonkers, New York is about 15 minutes from my office. I'm gonna get there very, very shortly. That's fantastic. And- Well, and, and to give you a little more reason to go, that restaurant uh, also has all of our new food innovation that we've been working on over, over the last nine months so you can absolutely get that iconic hot dog you mentioned we also have products like our new new york cheesesteak that we developed with pat lafrida so there's even more reason for you to make that uh, that 15 minute drive 
Wow, that is so cool. And it's so exciting to me to see a legacy brand like Nathan's that's so iconic to really start to put the pedal to the metal uh, on growth. I think this is, it, it's exciting for the consumer, uh, especially there's probably a new consumer out there, whether it's Gen Z or some millennials that haven't heard of Nathan's and, you know, where you could really penetrate uh, for sure. I know. I think that's right. You know, uh, we do very well across the wide uh, segment of the population. And, you know, we're still looking at, you know, some of the millennials don't know the brand as well as we would like. And we think some of these new products, and in addition to the innovation we've had around the menu, we've had innovation around design and decor and that physical plant. And we've certainly done so um, we believe in a way that will endear us more to millennials than maybe some of our older design. And also, I mentioned a little bit of repositioning at the, the start of the call. You know, Nathan's famous being the flavor of New York. That's our North Star. That's our brand positioning. But also making sure that internally and externally, when we say New York, really we mean the greater New York City area. Um, for years, our success was based around Coney Island, and that's really where we come from. But if you grab a millennial on the street, the likelihood that they know Coney Island and the history is probably pretty small. The likelihood that they know New York City and have favorable feelings towards it is a much greater bet. I'll, I'll take that bet every day. Totally. And is the growth going to be franchise driven? Uh, it'll be both. You know, we like uh, our corporate restaurant portfolio. We like what that does uh, for us, both financially as well as our ability to test innovation. And you've heard me say innovation a lot, and that's part of our, our brand DNA is innovating across a number of different business pillars. And, you know, corporate restaurants allow you to do that. But franchise growth is certainly going to, uh, I think, outpace what we see from a corporate standpoint. They're just more geography that makes sense to do through franchise ownership. And do you, do you all have a geographic footprint that you're focused on? Where, where if, you know, if you had your druthers, where there's so much opportunity for Nathan's, right? I don't think Nathan's is in Iowa and Minnesota, let alone places maybe in Miami and other places where, you know, how, how do you get your arms around where to focus? Great. Uh, well, first of all, we are opening a, a location, a new drive-through location in Miami next month. Awesome. Uh, Where in Miami? Yes. Uh, on Bird Road. So thanks, thanks for that setup. Uh, it's opening mid-April. It'll be one of our new prototypes. It'll have all those new menu items you can experience in Yonkers. Um, but I really like this question because we've thought a lot about this. And absolutely, there's, there's a lot of middle America opportunities. And frankly, there's opportunities in every state, but what, where we're focused is markets that have uh, just outperforming AUVs for the QSR segment. So when you look at markets like California, while that's a market that can be difficult from a business standpoint because of taxes and um, you know, the cost of energy, it's also a market that outperforms AUV-wise, average unit volume-wise, throughout QSR. So we're looking at markets like California, 
But really the deepest bucket we're looking at is markets that we've been able to identify as markets where individuals from the tri-state area, from that New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, those people who know and love Nathan's go. We either go on holiday, uh, go on vacation, or go to retire. So markets like Florida, um, where you just you have the New York Yankees spring training, you've got lots of New Yorkers who go there for the better weather, or certainly the warmer weather, um, as well as the positive tax benefits. So we're looking at those places that we can find uh, New Yorkers and those individuals who love Nathan's. Now, the new prototypes designed also, as I mentioned, really to, to grab the attention of individuals who don't know Nathan's. But we love that backdrop and that security that comes from going where people know and already love us. So you mentioned AUV and markets that outperform. What is the average Nathan's AUV today? So there's a wide range. It's, it's a very difficult question for me to give you an answer that really makes sense. And, and let me give you a little backdrop as to why. So when I look at the Nathan's portfolio and everything that rolls up into that number, I've got hot dog carts that operate for only uh, a couple months out of the year. So episodic hot dog carts and food trucks that are rolled out for events and maybe only open a, a few weeks or a few months a year. You know, that's kind of the left end of the pendulum and all the way that pendulum swings all the way up to our, our flagship location in Coney Island that's the size of a city block and has 43 cashiers at, uh, on a busy weekend in the summer. So our, our AUVs range, uh, range wildly. Sure. Do you, what, what do you think they're going to end up doing in these like drive-through freestanding end cap locations? Is it comparable to other QSR guys? Uh, I do think it's comparable. You know, there there's certainly some uh, you know some brands that I think outperform the industry, uh, like Chick Fil A and In and Out Burger, and I think those guys are best in class. But I think when you think of the major QSR players. Um, I think certainly we can rival their average unit volumes and, uh, and we can compete aggressively in most markets with those uh, providers. How big are these locations? So we're looking for, you know, it, probably a stereotypical prototype that's between 2,200 square feet uh, up to 3,000 square feet, has a drive through, has the you know, an adequate number of car parks as well as queuing space. And the delta, the difference between, say, a smaller location and a larger location has a lot to do with the individual market. So what we've found, just based on our research, is if you think of a location that might be out on a major freeway, yes, you've got people going through the drive through but you also have individuals who are using you as a rest stop. They want to come in. They want to use the restroom. They, they want a little break from driving. These could be uh, individuals who drive for a living up to and including professional truck drivers. So that restaurant needs to be a little bigger because the dwell time's a little longer and the amount of your guests that want to use the inside tends to be a little higher. So out on a freeway, you know, 100,000 cars a day from an average daily traffic standpoint, that restaurant probably needs to be a little larger. You go into an inner city location, you might have still have 70,000 cars a day, 
but so much more of your business is going through that drive-through because people are just on their way home from work uh, or going out to, let's say, a, a kid's event or something uh, more similar to that, and they're not coming in. They just want to use that drive-through. So somewhere between that based on the geographic location. Really, really good perspective. When you mentioned the the freeway and, and that, I was, the restaurant that comes to mind with that is Cracker Barrel to me. The iconic truck driver driving through, needs something, needs stop, seeing at a rest stop and what have you. Um, um, you know, I, I couldn't think of a better example than, than Cracker Barrel, right? And, you know, I think as much as that's a sit-down restaurant and they're very focused on breakfast, when I look at how people love Cracker Barrel out on the freeway, there's a lot of what they do that we're kind of looking at as well. And that's, you know, making sure that we're very uh, focused on quality, but that we're looking at larger portion sizes. I've never left a Cracker Barrel hungry. Uh, <laughs> you know, right. It's, you know, you, you're not going to, to, uh, to Cracker Barrel. Uh, and leaving saying, well, you know, I, I wish I would have ordered more. You're, you're really happy with the portion and the quality and service. And there's a lot of that in what we're doing with these new menu iterations. So that cheesesteak I mentioned with Pat LaFrida, you know, the standard portion on that is a half pound of shaved ribeye in, you know, it's very indulgent. It has caramelized brown sugar, onions, and American cheese, and a Balthazar roll. It's that indulgent experience. And I think when you're out on the road, some of those things, you know, that comfort food is a good place to be for a lot of, uh, a lot of customers. Totally. Since you oversee design and construction, you've built, now you have the, the New York location in Yonkers, the new prototype, and you're going to be, you're opening up in Bird Road in Miami. What is it, what is it costing to build these? Well, there's a lot of variables uh, that go into that. Uh, eliminating know. land costs, but just the, the physical. Sure. Building. You know, there's still a number of variables, and that's, you know, whether we're building a building, whether it's just leasehold improvements. But typically what we look at, and I, this is not just Nathan's, this is just my experience in the industry. What I personally look at is, you know, trying to get to a two to one sales to investment ratio. That tends to be a pretty scalable model. Um, and what we see is probably an average uh, for a drive-through location that we've been talking about is probably in that $1.25 million range. And, you know, obviously tenant improvement allowance is going to impact that, the physical site characteristics and where it is. It's going to be more expensive to build in, you know, in, in an area outside of New York City uh, or on Long Island than it's going to be, say, in Florida. And so you guys were looking at Florida based on the, you know, New Yorkers travel to Florida, retire in Florida. You land on Miami. Was there anything unique about how that deal happened that listeners might find interesting? Uh, you know, it's just, it's a very high traffic road. And, you know, one of the reasons that I mentioned on, on why I like drive-thrus is I like that they afford convenience to the guests. And guests are, are very focused and demanding of additional convenience options, right? Delivery and, uh, you know, ordering through an app and all of those types of, of technologies we hear and probably listeners use. But the other thing I really like about drive-thrus 
is there's typically a direct correlation between average daily traffic and the volume that that restaurant's going to see. So when you're making real estate decisions, that, that's a critical decision, right? You're probably looking at a 10-year base lease. You're looking at a lot of capex and cash expenditure to make that restaurant happen. One of the ways you can feel better about that investment is if you know what that average daily traffic is and you know, you're able to do a conversion rate or an interception rate. So we like that space on Berg Road because it was a very high car count road. There's a lot of traffic and then it has those site characteristics we like. You know, can you make it from the right lane? Can you make it from the left lane? Is it visible? Is it accessible? So it had the right site criteria. It had the right average daily traffic. And we like the consumer basis there. We like high frequency QSR users, uh, Hispanics. There's a lot of Hispanics in that area. They're a, a fantastic customer. It's a loyal customer. It's a customer we do well with. So kind of everything hit, uh, check the box in that area. So one more kind of real estate question, and then I'm going to pivot in a second. You mentioned something I hadn't heard much before, which was, you feel pretty good when the sales are about two to one, the investment you make in. So it's a million dollar investment and you can do 2 million in sales. You're feeling like the, you know, you got a good shot at hitting the returns that you want that I got that right. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I think that that's really an industry norm. And then, so as it comes to sales forecasting, and this is where my, my question lies is, are you guys using proprietary data with everything going on in the world today in tech? Do you use Buxton or one of these things? How do you guys, you know, forecast sales? Uh, so I'm certainly familiar with all those tools and I've used them in, in prior lives and prior positions. Currently at Nathan's, we're not using any of those uh, more advanced real estate tools doesn't mean that we won't gravitate to them over the next several months or, or maybe year plus. Right now, we're really looking at the site characteristics, the visibility, the accessibility, uh, and car counts, because those tend to be things that have a very direct correlation to the success of a restaurant. I think as we get more penetrated and, and you begin to look at markets that maybe don't check every box, it is more important to bring in more sophisticated tools. So, you know, today, if I'm looking at a site uh, and its site criteria kind of checks every box and it has a very high car count, so let's say 70,000 cars a day, you know, that's really checking the box of those items that typically have the highest correlation to sales. If I begin to penetrate a market, let's say, you know, five, 10 years down the road and we have more restaurants in Miami and the number of roads that have 70,000 cars are already populated with one of our restaurants and we're beginning to look at maybe lower traffic roads, then I think it's, it's even more critical to look at some of those more sophisticated tools you mentioned. Uh, we're in a really nice place right now where we've got enough restaurants that we have some size, we have some scale, we've got frankly, best-in-class brand awareness, but I'm not rubbing up against another Nathan's restaurant. So I can go out and really cherry-pick these A++ locations on any given market. And that's, that's kind of a great place to be. So you mentioned bumping up against, and 
I know in the food business, it's everybody. It's QSR. Nationally, is there another, and I, I know we're moving away, not just hot dogs, but is there another hot dog player or a, a someone you guys kind of view, yeah, we, 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 this is, you know, like akin to McDonald's Burger King? Uh, you know, another really fun question for me to answer. So I, we don't really look at another hot dog player at having our brand awareness or our quality or our scale. Uh, but kind of the second part of your question is we've positioned our menu. We've got four menu pillars, uh, our hot dogs and fries, those iconic items that go back 104 years, our burgers and shakes, which are, you know, cooked to order fresh Angus burgers, they're a half pound, um, our premium subline, which includes that Pat LaFrida cheesesteak, and then a hand-battered chicken program. And those four pillars, we believe, allow us to go really anywhere we want to go and not worry about who the adjacencies are. So uh, if you look at brands like Chick-fil-A and Raising Cane, these are fantastic concepts. I love them as a customer. I love them from a business standpoint. They are great brands. They have great service. They have great food. I believe if I build a Nathan's Famous next to one of those two fantastic concepts, they're probably going to impact my chicken sales. But I've got a best-in-class burger line. I've got the best hot dog in the market. And I've got a great sub-program. So while they're going to impact one part of my menu, I believe I can still go into that space and be very successful. So we've tried to design the menu that we're not worried about rubbing up against one particular category or one particular competitor. In fact, I would love to be next to a Chick-fil-A. They do a great job from uh, site selection. I, I would love to be next to a Chick-fil-A as an adjacency. Uh, yeah, there. Best in class from AUV. It's really impressive what they're doing from an AUV perspective. That's for sure. Well deserved too. Uh, you know, I when I think of you know kind of my restaurant corporate spirit animals, uh, I've spent a lot of time looking at Chick Fil A and In and Out Burger, and you know how they make decisions. They're very careful with real estate. Uh, so these are brands that have huge guest appeal. Guests love those brands, but still. They're not taking B sites. They take A plus sites, the best in the market. And I, I think there's some learning there for anybody in the industry and anybody who's looking to grow their restaurant portfolio. You know, these brands are at the top of their game and they are still not cutting corners from a site uh, selection standpoint. When, when you took the location in Yonkers and the location in Miami, did, were those existing buildings or, or ground up? So the, the Yonkers location actually is, is not a new prototype. Uh, it's where we're testing our new menu items. So we've been in Yonkers for, uh, I think, more than 40 years. Okay. The, and the uh, location uh, in Bird Road is a conversion. And when we look at drive-throughs, we're looking at everything from ground up uh, to conversion sites you know, kind of everything that uh, might be an option for us, as long as we're checking all of those other site criteria and traffic boxes. Incredible. And, and I think, you know, if I might add a little color, just myself personally, if you would have asked me that question about conversions 10 years ago, I might have been 
I might have given you a different answer. I, I probably would have been more resistant to conversions 10 years ago. I've been, I would be more worried about why a restaurant failed in a location and wouldn't necessarily want to bring, you know, a brand that I was proud of and trying to grow into a site that may have failed for somebody else. I think right now in the industry, uh, we're probably uh, a little over proliferated and we are seeing a shakeout where some brands are not as poised for the next 10 and 20 years as they should be. And that shakeout of some of those locations is affording an opportunity for brands like I believe Nathan's to be that are poised for the next 20 years to grab those sites that weren't successful for the prior brand and will be successful for a brand that is really poised for growth in the future. That's really, really, really great perspective. And uh, I think the listeners are going to love that. Moving from real estate for a, a minute. So to me, I love Nathan's family loves Nathan's born and raised in New York Metro know it well. I guess it feels like for a while it's been under the radar and now you guys are about to put the pedal to the metal. What's changed in like, what's been Nathan, what's Nathan's been up to kind of all this time they've been under the radar? You know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said. The brand has been so successful in that licensing, in that consumer packaged goods where a guest that just is passionate about the brand is able to go into their local grocery and, you know, bring a package of our hot dogs home, prepare it the way they want, whether that's, you know, grilled or steamed, they can put their toppings on, they're able to buy Nathan's mustard. And that's really allowed guests to experience that product. And it's allowed the brand to be very successful. So it's not that that's changed. That's still a very, very successful and growing part of our business with, I think, a very bright future. I believe the shareholders and the leadership at Nathan's said, you know, when we look at our overall business, there is a future opportunity for growth in the restaurant division. And let's focus on that. And what I found over uh, about a year now with the brand is that, you know, my boss, Eric Gadoff, and uh, the board have been very, very supportive of the efforts that myself and the restaurant team have had to grow that part of the business. So I think um, the opportunity is now. I think the brand is positioned for the future, as I mentioned. We're not stepping away from the hot dog. We're not changing it. Uh, we're not changing those uh, fresh cut fries. We've just added to uh, the menu a number of other items at that quality level. And so Nathan's is public, you know, and you mentioned the shareholders, I guess the stock this year's had a good year and you've grown it a lot since 2015. And, and what that, that growth has primarily been the licensing and, and now you're going to try and consumer packages. And now we're going to move into some of the restaurant growth. Is that, if I unpack everything, is that, is that really a good punchline? Yeah, I, th I think it's a good good summation. I would certainly say the you know the the license team and the retail teams are also aggressively looking at uh, answering consumer uh, demand for those products. But I, I think you did a nice job of, of encapsulating. Anything else 
the, the listener, the consumer, anyone should know about Nathan's and what you guys are up to, what's going on and, and the future of Nathan's. Well, uh, since you're just outside of New York City uh, and you've heard me talk about innovation, one of the things kind of under that innovation and technology and convenience and being the flavor of New York, uh, we announced yesterday a partnership with a cloud kitchen platform that will allow us to deliver all of these new products throughout New York City. Uh, a brand called Katopi uh, out of Dubai, and they're working on growing out to seven cloud kitchens within the greater New York City area, and they're partnering with us. So we're looking at really being able to answer that consumer demand for New York's finest hot dogs greatest burgers, that Pat LaFrieda cheesesteak, anywhere in the boroughs with uh, this new partnership. So that, I think that's kind of a unique and very timely uh, response I mean, since we just given, went public yesterday. Given the, 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 the trend with ghost kitchens, I think I, we, we put that in the, the social media front that it's gonna get a lot of buzz. That's really, really awesome. Is that, is that to mean that you won't open up a bunch more restaurants in New York Metro? No, the the agreement still allows us to open restaurants. And because we are very focused not only on franchising, but very concerned and invested in the success of our franchise locations and their owners, we still have the ability to deliver uh, from those franchise locations. But when you look at an area like Manhattan or just a step outside of the United States, Look at Paris, look at London, look at Tokyo. Those are such difficult real estate markets. It's hard to find sites. The economics don't always come together in as attractive a way as we would like, but we still have a huge consumer demand. So we look at this as a way to answer this pent up consumer demand in a way that makes sense. But it absolutely is not designed to say, hey, we're going to do this and we're not looking at growing restaurants in these markets. Understood. Well, that was an awesome way to, to end. Uh, that's really exciting stuff. I'm glad it just happened yesterday. Um, very, very timely. Very timely. That's really cool. Last part of our show, whether it's a bonus episode or a typical Thursday, is called Retail Wisdom. I ask every guest the same three questions, James, and tell me when you're ready. All right. So this is like the lightning round. You got it. It's like the lightning round. Let's go. Question one. Best piece of commercial real estate advice to listeners out there? Ah, best commercial real estate advice. I would say if if you're new to that part of the business, seek some really good counsel. Find somebody who really understands uh, the industry, I think there's great consultants out there. There's some, some real expertise. If you don't have that expertise in commercial real estate, uh, go find it. Cool advice. No one said that yet, but that's, a, that's definitely sage advice. All right. Question two. This one's a fan favorite. Extinct retailer that you wish would come back from the dead. Ooh, can I can I give you a a restaurant? Absolutely. Uh, since, 
Yeah. Well, and I, I'm such a fan of the restaurant industry. Um, but you know, I, I miss steak and ale and, uh, I, I know, um, there's talk of that brand coming back. If there's a steak and ale and it opens in the United States, I'm going, I would love to see that brand come back and I don't want it to change. I want it to serve the hot fudge cake and the brown bread and the salad bar, just like I had 20, 25 years ago. Fantastic. That's a great answer. You seem passionate about it. I hope they come back just so you get to go. Absolutely. Uh, third question. I am on BJ's Wholesale Club restaurant. This is like, you're going to guess the retail price of a good. And All right. I am looking at, it is sold out, a 45-pack of 1,000-sheet, one-ply toilet paper by Scott's. It's nine more rolls than the normal. What is that price on BJ's, at BJ's Wholesale Club? So I'm not going to cheat. Even though I'm standing next to your computer, and I'm going to say thirteen dollars and ninety nine cents. It's twenty five ninety nine, but thank you for playing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess, I guess I don't get toilet paper as my parting gift. But. You don't, but listen, James, uh, this was fascinating. This was awesome. It's a brand I love. Uh, the, the the corn dogs are my nuggets are my favorites, and I'm wishing you nothing but the best. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.